You're listening to. Whoa! Welcome to Books and Bulba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian Asian authors. Uh, my name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And we're your hosts for the Books and Bulba April Book Club pick, One Day We'll All Be Dead and None of This Will Matter by Sachi Cole. I found out that her name is actually Sachi because I read the acknowledgments at the very end. Really? And so was, you've been letting me mispronounce your yes, name yes, I all have. this time just for the sick burn right now. Well, like, did you read the acknowledgments? I just finished it and I closed it. <laughs> well, like, uh, half of her acknowledgments is uh, written by her father. Mm. And uh, it's really funny because he mentions, uh, he was like, oh, if she doesn't portray me in, like, a good light, well, I've had my revenge because her name is spelt with a silent C. And I was like, oh, a silent C? That means her name is Sachi. That is nefarious. Oh, okay. One day we'll all be dead and none of this will matter by Sachi Cole. I'm going to edit that so it makes it sound like I finished that <laughs> correctly the first time. No, you won't. You won't edit it. Oh. Um, and on the cover, we'll all be dead and none of this is actually crossed out. So the, the, so the title also reads, One Day This Will Matter. Very yes. clever. Uh, and the synopsis goes where the book jacket summary goes in one day we'll all be dead and none of this will matter sachi deploys her razor sharp humor to share her fears outrages and mortifying experiences as an outsider growing up in canada her subjects range from shaving her knuckles in grade school to a shopping trip gone horribly awry to dealing with internet trolls to feeling out of place at an indian wedding as an indian woman uh, to parsing the trajectory of fears and anxieties that pressed upon her immigrant parents and bled down a generation. Alongside these personal stories are pointed observation about life as a woman of color, where every aspect of her appearance is open for critique, derision, or outright scorn, where strict gender roles bind in both Western and Indian cultures, forcing her to confront questions about gender dynamics racial tensions, ethnic stereotypes, and her father's creeping mortality, all as she tries to find her feet in the world. Wow, that is a doozy of a synopsis. <laughs> so this book is a collection of essays written by Sachi. Yes, I um, thought it was a memoir, but... It kind of, it kind of is. as it, a memoir, yeah. Um, with each chapter, there, there's a loose uh, through line throughout the, throughout the essays, but... Um, each ch- each chapter is kind of an individual like um, anecdote. Yeah. Uh, so Marvin, since you read this last night, uh, um, well, well, <laughs> well. Before we start, um, just as always, a quick spoiler warning um, that we're going to be discussing this book in this book club discussion. So if you don't want to get stuff spoiled for you. Um, or if you have, if you haven't read it yet, um, now is the time to push pause and go read the book and come back after you're done. And if you don't feel like reading this book right now, um, you can read our May book club pick, which is The Leavers by Lisa Ko, um, which is out on paperback right now. So, no excuses. No excuses. Okay, so let's get started. 
Uh, so Marvin, since you read this last night, you have a fresher take on the on the book. <laughs> so yes. What? I was really curious when I finished this book because I finished it uh, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, how you would uh, like what your take would be because this is definitely like geared towards uh, women of color, especially. So, well, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of um, lady stuff. Lady which... stuff. Okay. <laughs> What's with that tone there? No, lady stuff, which, you know, it was interesting to read. Um, well, well, is there is there a specific essay or like a story that really struck a chord with you or was like memorable? Well, Sachi's a very like she's she's a really great writer. Um a lot of her essays um you know, they they range from you know, talking about serious subject but also including humor and, you know, funny anecdotes. Um uh, the chapter that I guess I that stuck with me would be um, the one describing her going to her, her cousin's wedding in India and realizing returning as an adult and seeing seeing the effects of her privilege um, in terms of colorism and colonialism everywhere, right? Um, and I think that um, I think I, I reacted to that the most because I just came back from a trip to Asia, and you know as an adult or as, as a member of like the diaspora, right? Mm-hmm. When you, when you go back to the mother country, there is this feeling that you don't actually belong here. You feel comfortable or you feel like you should feel comfortable, but you, you're still very much aware that you're different. Right? Yeah. Um, I went to Korea for the first time in eight years last year mm-hmm. and it was it was definitely a trip. Let me <laughs> let me tell you that Korea has changed a lot within uh, eight years. But um, yeah, like for a lot of Koreans, they don't see Korean Americans as Americans <laughs> because you know our face, like we look ethnically the same, and even the word "kyopo," which is like Korean, um, a Korean who is living abroad, that's exactly right. what it means, and. I definitely felt that where because um, I went for a wedding and everything was really weird. I, <laughs> like I it was a modern Korean wedding. So I it was like a mix of uh, American wedding, like Western mm. weddings with like the whole white wedding dress. But uh, a lot of it was uh, very different from how we do weddings here. We have like big parties and they <laughs> last like a couple hours. And you you know, there's a lot of like planning involved but weddings in korea or at least the modern weddings you go to a wedding hall and everything is kind of like sped up kind of like a convenience store way um there's it's pretty much like a conveyor belt of brides mass produced it is a very mass produced wedding and the ceremony itself lasts less than 30 minutes really yes that's like the polar opposite of what (laughs) sachi went through in her seven day indian wedding yeah that was really interesting too because i i've never been to an indian wedding despite having indian friends yeah but none of them are married those people that um, sachi talks about in her her book who's never been to an indian wedding i thought i thought the Indian wedding chapter was really interesting because she talks about her cousin who is getting married and she says that I think her cousin's name is Sweetu. Yeah. yeah. Uh Sweetu is an empowering uh, is an empowered woman. She is uh the youngest edu- daughter but she went to 
England. For yeah, she she was yeah. educated abroad, and she definitely grew up with uh, a lot of like Western uh, Western ideals. Mm-hmm. But she's doing this traditional wedding, and a lot of it arranged too. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. arranged, and uh, also a lot of the traditions are um, very patriarchal. Yeah, very patriarchal. <laughs> it doesn't. And she talks about how you, how there is this duality, and even if even though you're like a quote unquote modern woman, it doesn't make you less of like a feminist for wanting a traditional wedding that is rooted in yeah sexism. But at the same time, you, she notices all like the inequalities of the ceremony, right? Like she sees, oh yeah, there's a dancer who's performing for them, which is a guy in drag. Uh, and the reason for that is because women aren't allowed to dance, to dance. in front of men. <laughs> yeah, and like uh, Sweetu actually tells Sachi, like, yeah, this is like a big joke on women. Yeah, and we live in a very hypocritical country. But haha, like, they laugh about it because you know, like you, it's it's like a weird gray area. Well, I mean, it's like how Chinese people laugh about like how cheap we are. You know, like we laugh at our stereotypes. Like I'm sure Korean people laugh yeah. at their own stereotypes too, or their 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 what was it, the Han, which is a big issue right now, or, or a big talking point right now because of yeah the North and South Korea. We <laughs> stuff we talked happening. about it uh, in our Pachinko discussion. Yeah. So if you guys want to check that out later, <laughs> definitely but do so. It also reminded me of like it, it. It caused me to think about like Western. Merit, like wedding culture and how that is also a little patriarchal too right like um i was just at a wedding where basically the bridesmaids and the bride did all this work they had to get up super early to get their hair done to get their makeup done to set up all the tables and everything and the groomsmen were just drinking all day yeah yeah (laughs) I'm also not a fan of American weddings where the father gives the bride away to the groom because I'm just like... I mean, that's carryover from... I know. (laughs) I know. But I don't like it. It's Yeah, the whole idea of, like, it's the bride that leaves her family to join this other family. That's so rooted in, like, the transactional nature of weddings from the olden days that... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but during this, uh, during her time in India for this wedding, um, Sachi realizes her uh, shadism privilege. Yeah. It was really interesting to read her start to notice um, that all the service workers are darker skinned, yeah. right? Whereas all the like women in like sales or um, more retail positions are lighter skinned. Yeah, and because she is part of like part of yeah. the Kashmiri uh, community, she has fairer skin than most Indians do. And she talks about how um, in in Canada, because she's Canadian, um, she's not white, and she's part of the minority, no yeah. matter how fair she is. And she actually has a quote uh, about her fairness and ab- about working in Canada with that kind of privilege. And she said, I'm not white, no, but I'm just close enough that I could be and just far enough that you know I'm not. I can check off a diversity box for you and I don't make you nervous, at least not on the surface. I'm the whole package. <laughs> I really love her uh, like 
sarcastic humor in the book because it really like like hits you randomly it's yeah. very like it like softens the blow of a lot of serious topics because uh this book is kind of sad a little bit ways. It goes through a lot of um just a lot of just a lot <laughs> um i like reading about her niece uh, raisin yeah who um who is mixed race her mom yeah. is uh white and uh her father is indian yeah and and how they're all super excited about her complexion except for like her nose yeah which is which is um in her words definitely an indian nose yeah and she talks about uh raisin being able to integrate uh or assimilate yeah much more easily than she did and uh well, she talks a lot about assimilation and just the, um, like, what immigration does to a culture, right? How... Yeah, she says immigration is so much about loss. Yeah. And, yeah, they're... Yeah, true. How she views her heritage as, like, something that she is missing a lot. Like, she has the pieces, but not the whole picture. Uh, but she also thinks about Raisin, who, like, doesn't even think about it at all. And, like, what will her children and how, like, you know, in a few generations, like, will they even think about the old culture? Yeah. Will they uh, hold on to true to yeah. traditions because they don't have memories of, like, <laughs> living there. And it's, yeah. everything is, like, handed down from, uh, from it was families. In the essay, I forgot which essay it was. It was the second to last one, right, where she was visiting her father's old house. Mm-hmm. She said that like the house seemed to be i don't know this like dream like all of her family members are like living in one house and mm. you have like mango trees in the background and it's very like idyllic like yeah yeah and i i think that's true because i think a lot of uh immigrant parents they kind of romanticize the motherland and she does mention this she mentions that her father uh, romanticizes his childhood home a lot mm. but he was so quick to leave india because he hated living there yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just like oh yeah yeah that's like that's that's part of like the diaspora story i think yeah and she juxtaposes that with her own childhood childhood home and how she like has nightmares about her parents dying and having to like decide whether or not to keep the house yeah. Um, and also just like how, uh, like, the house was pretty, fi- like, full. But yeah. then after her and her brother left, it's just like her parents and her niece coming over, like, yeah. from time to time. And she talks about how when she goes to visit, her mom, like, has moved everything. And she's just like, it seems like an insult. Like, yeah, how she's dare like, you? This is like, her mom moved the forks as, like, a way to drive me crazy. <laughs> 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 Which is true. Like, when I go home and stuff isn't where I remember them being, I get a little frustrated. I mean, my parents have moved houses, like, three times since I left college. So, I don't know where anything is all the time. (laughs) So, I'm I'm pretty used to it. But I could understand. Like, you cling on to... like, you know, you when you're younger, like, your parents are brave for you. And when you're an adult, you have to be brave for yourself. And that's another theme in this book as well. As well as um, death dreams or, like, thinking about 
I liked I liked how she described her anxiety. It's yeah. not like a big inspirational story. It's just like, oh, it's part of my life. And I constantly think about <laughs> my parents dying. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> or like her fear of flying and how. Um, like, and, yeah, like she talks about how that kind of anxiety has been passed down from her yeah. parents because her parents are very anxious and very fearful. They're like, why are you moving so far away for college? Like, you're sick? I'll come over to you. And and they tell her not to, like, go abroad because, like, what is there yeah. out, out for you? And not even that. It's like, you're going abroad. What did that ever do to you? <laughs> <laughs> It's like, how dare you? Are you mad at me? Is that where you're going on? Treat me like a demigod. Oh my god, the the uh, in between uh, the chats, the right? chats, the, like, like with her dad. There was there was so funny. Her like, I love her dad, and I heard that uh, the audiobook for uh, this book was narrated by Sachi, and parts of it was narrated by her father. Oh. So I'm really like, I really want to listen to the audiobook now. <laughs> Yeah, what was your favorite essay in this in the book? Um, I would say the the two essays that really struck a chord with me was uh, the Hunting Ground, which is about uh, surveillance culture and rape culture, and how a lot of people blame women for not yeah. guarding their drinks, and also how a lot of people see rape culture as you know, some kind of van coming up and duct taping your mouth. And really, it's a lot more subtle than that. It's about men watching you the moment you walk into the door and counting how many drinks you have and kind of encouraging you to take more drinks or even drugging you in the process. And, you know, like you you can always say no, but when you get drunk enough and you can't say the words, then somehow it's okay, according to society. Yeah. And that really struck a chord with me, because obviously I am a woman, <laughs> and uh, I have gone through situations like that before. So, um, yeah, I was like, like, while I was reading it. A, a theme that she comes back to a lot is just the, the double standard between like how people treat women. You have all these expectations to be, you know... All the things, pretty much. All you have to be demure, educated, but not progressive enough <laughs> that you will disappoint your parents or break tradition. It, it's a lot. Yeah. A lot of the burden is placed on women. They want you to look good, but if you if that attracts attention, then that's your fault for looking too good. Yeah. Right. Like the one thing that really hit me was her talking about how. There's this very thin line between like, oh, normal patriarchy, I'll just ignore it, whatever, you're a misogynistic dude, versus you need to run. <laughs> like, <laughs> like That line is so thin, and I, like, I could definitely relate to that. There, there has been multiple times when I would go to some kind of social gathering, and I hate parties, I hate going out, so it's always really frightening when... I go to these events and and like you meet new people, but there is like a sinister. You get that attention that you don't yeah. feel. There have been good multiple around, times right? when I've been followed home, and that's really scary. Like yeah. I don't know how else I can explain that, but like I think every woman can <laughs> relate to that because because you get a lot of unwanted attention no matter. 
what your appearance is or yeah or like no matter how you say no or how many drinks you have like it really doesn't matter like i think every woman knows how it feels to be kind of looked upon as if you're meat and <laughs> <laughs> like there have been uh other cases where i would be at a party and i'm a very paranoid person i'm also <laughs> very much like sachi where like i like when i get a drink from a bar i make sure i watch the bartender and mm. like make sure like i can see how the drink is being made i don't accept drinks from strangers like it's or even friends sometimes <laughs> and like there have been cases where like i would see someone there have been there have been a few cases where like i've seen a guy roofie a girl and i would like go up to the girl and i have no idea who they are and mm. i'm just like hey like hello friend let's <laughs> come over here <laughs> like like uh, you don't want to hang out with that guy and it it really sucks when you have to rely on like strangers yeah. like other like strange women to like protect you or uh to keep an eye out for you another essay i mean it's very similar to yeah. the hunting ground but another essay that like I really liked was uh, the Twitter one, and the essay was called "Mute," and it was you about, like the ones that are <laughs> really are like really sinister. But uh, <laughs> I think I think we should talk about that a little bit later because um, I do want to talk about like her interracial interracial relationship with Hamhawk, yeah, and like how her family reacted to it, and like the double standard because her brother, <laughs> like her brother married a white woman and uh he lived with his wife before they got married yeah. and her parents were like kind of mad but they weren't like full blown angry at him i mean i'm sure they were but they blocked it out yeah but like <laughs> i don't know like i feel i feel like especially in east asian culture i'm not sure about southeast or south asian culture but guys get away with a lot of things and uh yeah like i could definitely relate because i'm in an interracial relationship <laughs> i am uh i am dating a white guy and i get a lot of shit for that from mm. especially asian guys who are who are just like asian girls who date white guys are like a traitor to their kind or like why why do asian girls like not find asian guys sexy and i correct them saying hey i'm a k-pop fan i find asian guys very <laughs> sexy um but yeah there's like I mean, that's mostly internet guys, too, right? I, I guess. I mean, they're the same breed, pretty much. <laughs> but uh, with my parents, they didn't freak out as much as Sachi's parents, who like who weren't even okay with uh, her I mean, dating her, another brown boy who happened to be Pakistani. <laughs> her parents seemed to be extra dramatic, though. <laughs> but I, I mean, I feel like, like because it's her perspective, she feels like she's getting... Rain on hard on, but I'm sure her brother got a lot of shit too. He's the oldest son of this family. No, like, I I think it was a lot. Like he got away with a lot more than she did. Because <laughs> like with like with girls, it's just like how like how dare you? You're chastity and you have to be demure and like. If but I feel you, like with the oldest son, it's like what about our family line, our pure blood? Remember he she, like she mentioned a lot about like how. They wanted to keep the blood pure. Yeah, like, I think there was a joke in there saying, like, oh, we can't marry other Kashmiris because we're all distant cousins. And, like, <laughs> think about the children that we will have. They might yeah. come out messed up. 
Um, I enjoyed reading how he was like, he's like your, not typical, I wouldn't say typical, but he's like, she calls him a precious moron, and yeah, I kind of, like, I kind he's of like, agree he's a bro. with her. <laughs> like, yeah, he's like, totally a bro. <laughs> like she, like in in the Indian wedding chapter, she talks about how like her her boyfriend Hemhawk, which is not his real name. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's not his real name. It's a pretty dope name if it is. Um, but like he says, like I want to get married, and he really wants like this big fantastic wedding where it's like a huge bash with his friends. And she said, "I love you," within the first two weeks, right? I mean, it happens. Like, but like she, she's just like, "Oh, you're a precious moron because you've <laughs> never been to an Indian wedding and you've never spent like seven days doing <laughs> all the things that like." Like with the chants and and like the bathing of like milk, like you weren't there, and you know even if you were there, you would be just drinking with your buds, and you don't know what I have to sacrifice. <laughs> so like, yeah, like I th- I thought that was like really interesting because, like, when you bring someone who is not the same race as you, who wasn't raised in the same uh with the same cultural ideals as as the one that you grew up in, there is a lot of like explaining explaining or or introducing or you just kind of get thrown into it and there's really no backing out at that point yeah i mean the the plus side is he seems like a pretty adventurous dude i mean he's the one that got her to go to thailand with him right Mm -hmm. yeah like like when she finally introduces actually even before she introduces him to her parents like she uh, lied to her parents saying like oh i broke up with him because her mom just kind of flipped out (laughs) Um, and like her, well, there's, there's, there's the, there's the interracial angle, but there's also another aspect to <laughs> her relationship that, um, even her brother was like, oh yeah, that'd be tough. Yeah. Cause she's, uh, like, he's like 13 years older than her. Yeah. Which is one year older than her brother. <laughs> <laughs> but like her, like Hamhawk is like, oh, it's so, it's okay. Like I'll, I'll go meet your parents and, you know, I'll be my charming self and like, I'll win your dad over. And she's just <laughs> like, no, you will not. Like it will take years. Like you're not aiming for them to like you. You're aiming for them to accept you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's sure. seems like they decided to hate him on principle more than his personality. Yeah. I was like, I mean, I, I found it, like, really funny, and also it's just like, yeah, that's sadly the truth. There's a lot of hoops you have to go through when yeah. you're in an interracial relationship, and it made me sad because I'm in one, and oh boy. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I feel like it's the hardest when you're the first in your entire family to have one, but if other members of your family have interracial relationships... My, from my experience, the family starts to get used to it. They just give up after, <laughs> yeah. at some point. I mean, you guys immigrated to a country of immigrants. Some mixing's going to happen. Mm, yeah. She did mention, um, I think it was one of her biology teachers were talking about, um, they were learning about recessive and dominant genes. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the, the chapter about hair. <laughs> but how the the teacher was kind of upset or sad that like one day we'll all just be mixed 
One day we will all be beige. Yeah. <laughs> like we won't have Dark beautiful hair, brown eyes. Yeah, we won't have beautiful <laughs> like blue eyes anymore or whatever. And I'm just like, did you did you do that in in high school with the whole like recessive dominant yeah, genes? We had to. It's yeah. Part of- <laughs> I mean, did you do the experiment where like you were paired up with? Someone? Oh no, we were just giving worksheets. <laughs> well, I had to go through that. Really? Yeah, and it sucked really? <laughs> uh i was paired up with uh, a blonde haired white dude oh then you took over her gene <laughs> it's like yeah no chance buddy our kids are gonna be brown and brown yeah but like in so like her uh classmate james like he makes fun of her because he like mentions her hairy arms and mm. she goes home and she's like very self-conscious about it and she shaves like a part of her arm and she's like I'm not going to let him tell me what to do. I'm beautiful the way I am. And then she goes uh, back to school and he sees the ball patch and he's just like, oh, did you like shave because of something I said? And the joke in that in that story was James works in finance now. He lives in Boston. We we are all eventually punished for our sins. (laughs) (laughs) What's wrong with Boston? I don't know. I like Boston. <laughs> that was a fun essay uh, all about her um, relationship with her hair, about how uh, being Indian and inheriting all that comes with being Indian adds like basically a whole plethora of things for her like yeah. daily regime. She she mentions how like like Indian hair is coveted right it's like thick luscious and like shiny and like a lot of white women are like oh like what do you use for your hair yeah but they only care about the hair on her head they don't care about the hair on her arms or her face and it's like because because like she does mention like oh indian hair is coveted but like black hair it's just like like black women can't do anything with it because everyone is mad and and there is like a sense of colonialism when it comes to hair and it it really caters towards whiteness and yeah. and uh white jeans and i thought that was like a very interesting essay to read yeah especially the part where she gave her waxer a panic attack i mean it it ends on a pretty positive note where she's just saying these days i just like sometimes i do it sometimes i don't yeah she's just like well like I didn't do it for a while, and, you know, I figured I actually like this, so <laughs> I'm just going to do it for me and not for my boyfriend or because society is just like, this is the beauty standard. Yeah, and I think that's another thing that comes up a lot is just the standards put upon women to look a certain way. Yeah, and it it, it really sucks because, like, a woman who wears makeup is, is, like you're saying, like, oh, she's shallow or superficial. And a girl who doesn't wear makeup, she's considered lazy and <laughs> and ugly. And it's like, there's, there's really no way to win. So just do whatever makes you happy. Yeah. And I also really liked how she talked about clothes and, yeah. and like, how there's this idea, ideal where if you find the right clothes it will like transform you and automatically make you into like see this is what i meant by like lady stories lady stories like, like don't don't guys like, feel that way though shop- like uh, like guys are just like oh if i like wear this shirt or this pair of jeans like it'll make me look slimmer and more manly or 
maybe I've been with a lot of fashion conscious guys. Probably. But, but yeah. like they're like a lot of guys that I have met who have been very fan- of fashion <laughs> conscious. They obsess over little things like accessories or whatever. I let my girlfriend obsess for me. Oh, <laughs> I well. Don't think that aren't you lucky? <laughs> um, but that was another essay with a really funny anecdote of her. Oh, um, when her when her dress uh, zipper gets caught and yeah. she has to be cut out. So she finds like this perfect skirt or dress. Yeah. Um, uh, it was like wool, right? Yeah. At, at this store that she used to work at um, as a teen whose manager used to be her coworker. <laughs> um, and she gets stuck in it and then they have to cut it off. Like, she mentions how, like, she is considered a plus size, especially when it comes to other Indian girls, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when she goes to uh, buy traditional Indian clothing for the for her cousin's wedding, like, her mom is very frustrated because she's just like, nothing fits or this is not the right color or fabric. And, you know, it. there is nothing more... Uh, did her mom also complain that her boobs are bigger than hers? Yeah, her boobs are bigger than hers, her <laughs> hips are bigger than hers, or whatever. But, like, you lose so much confidence when, like, when you are, when you aren't the quote-unquote right size, right? And, like, when you do find clothes that fit you, it feels like a freaking miracle, right? <laughs> and you you kind of hope that it will transform you into... Uh, a better version of yourself and um, I mean I'm not considered uh, a plus size in America but I definitely am considered plus size in Korea and like I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with my body but it is like it does make me feel a little bit bad when uh, I try to buy like pants or whatever and it's like a size two and that's considered like a normal size. And I'm just like, I like I'm five foot five and these girls are five foot two, five yeah. foot three. Nothing fits me. And it's and, and it's really it ruins your confidence. I had this problem in, in Asia where I was like, I bought a couple T-shirts from Uniqlo because they typically fit me pretty well. But don't I didn't realize that the Uniqlo sizes in Asia are cut shorter. Yeah. Yeah, so... Marvin is, like, six feet tall. Yeah. (laughs) Probably were, like, capris to you. (laughs) It almost was. I was like, okay, I'm not wearing any of these out. I guess since I said we'll come back to it later, we should talk about the Twitter essay. Yeah, this is um, another bright and shiny story (laughs) from Sachiko. Um because she her her job is a as a writer, right? She writes for right now she writes for BuzzFeed. Yeah, she's a BuzzFeed uh contributor. I'm not sure if she's like a I think I think she's an editor because okay. she did mention she was an um, editor. Yeah. Um but this is when she was writing for I'm assuming a paper because she had she had an editor. Mm-hmm. Um and she is a very and as a person as a public person in the press she had a you know a twitter account where she was very active about i liked how the um essay started with her first computer yeah millennials you yeah know? and like, getting wired internet for the first time which like 
didn't happen for me till about the same time she did actually yeah. uh, i think she said it was 2003 um i first got my first wired like internet in 2002 when i went to college uh-huh and then how that led to she was talking about what was the um the canadian version of myspace i i don't remember but <laughs> it sounded it sounded terrible it was like a mix of tinder and like yeah. like rate my like rate my professor but only with like your classmates yeah it, yeah it sounded it sounded really terrible but at the same time like she talks about how small it was and how like even anything like anything bad happening in the digital world, it really didn't bleed into your real life. And yeah. like there was really no consequence. And as the internet community uh, expanded, it it brought a lot of distilled rage and it gave people an, like yeah. anonymous uh, identities and they were able to yell and get away with it. Yeah. And she's the type of person, I guess, who engages. So, um, yeah, know, one of these, um, like, which is the opposite of what like I do. <laughs> like, I <laughs> tend to try to avoid online conflict where I can. Um, but um, for the most part, she's she seemed like she was able to handle it until until the, it got real bad. Until the yeah. incident, and the incident was uh, when she was an editor, and she tweeted, "I would like to hire non." white non-male voices yeah. for future feature articles and uh milo yiannopoulos uh sent a lot of trolls her way oh and, really yeah that was the whole oh. reason why she got like a whole bunch of trolls and uh got a lot of death threats and rape threats and she like she took it with good stride in the beginning by answering with quotes from goodwill hunting which yeah. which sounded like so amazing and she's a genius for coming up with that but you know eventually it wore her down and uh she had to take a break and she delete i think she deleted her twitter account and she, she talked to her editor right yeah her yeah. editor was like you don't have to engage in everything like you 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 can shut it down and I think it was like a couple of weeks later she uh she came back on Twitter and I really liked the quote like the reason why she came back and she said I like being present in spaces where I am not welcome because you do not deserve to feel comfortable just because you're racist or sexist or small-minded. <laughs> yeah. Like the whole reason why she asked for non-male non-white voices was because she wanted more more marginalized writers so they can encourage younger yeah, aspiring she was writers essentially talking about representation and she gave a couple examples of like what reading pieces or seeing media by people who look like her means to her i mean the request isn't unreasonable but like she wrote, she wrote this in her essay where to people in privilege, like to people in privileged positions, like calling for equality sounds like we're taking away their privilege. Yeah. Right. For you to gain, we have to lose. Like it's a zero sum game to people who think that way. Yeah. And that's why they get so angry because they don't want to lose anything. I mean, that's why 
uh, like crazy rich Asians. It's it's a really big deal. I mean, the last movie, last Hollywood movie with an all Asian cast was a uh, Joy Luck Club, <laughs> <laughs> and we had to wait like twenty years, twenty five 20, years, yeah, twenty five yeah. years for that. And same thing with Fresh Off the Boat, like. We had to wait a really long time. That for, one was 20 years. Yeah, yeah it was since also 20 American years. Girl. Yeah. And, you know, we've had we've had a lot of good indies in between, but nothing with, like, studio money behind it. Yeah, and, I mean, like, Better Luck Tomorrow was, like, was not really funded by a really big th- studio. That was funded by... Um, John... Wait, was it John M. Chu? No. No. No, sorry. I get my Justin direct- Lin. Justin Lin. Yeah. I, get my, I get my directors <laughs> mixed up. Uh, yeah, that one, was th- that one was funded through Justin Lin's credit cards. Credit cards. cards and yeah. he's still paying that off. <laughs> I'm sure he's paying them off by now. By now, like, he's but like... directing Star Trek. He's fine. He's fine. I mean, yeah. but up till three years ago, I remember him saying like, yeah... yeah. This is why I don't make those types of movies right now because I'm still like paying it off. And I'm like, that's yeah. really sad. But that gave him enough credit to land Tokyo Drift, which um, got him to where, where he is, is now, now, where he can actually try to do some of his own projects, which is yeah. which is pretty good. Um, and that's the thing, right? Like it, you start, it all starts with small steps. It starts with giving someone a chance to be noticed and once they're noticed people will start hiring them or writing for them and eventually get to the point where they can help others as well yeah i think right now like we're still at this point where you say like when you see like an asian actor or an asian work you're like i'm glad this exists even if i don't like it and it would be really nice to be in a space where you can just straight up say i don't like this and not have not have consequences <laughs> not not like be like be like oh i have to wait 20 years now for the next yeah. asian american cast same thing with books i mean yeah. like i would even say like up till like three years ago we did not have this many books by asian and asian american authors and uh earlier this year i made that beautiful color-coded uh um yeah <laughs> Collage. Collage. I forgot the word. Collage of uh, books that came out in 2017 by Asian and Asian American authors. And it was really sad. I mean, there were a lot of books. There were over 100 books on that collage. But it was really sad that I could fit it into a collage. Like, it should have been (laughs) a lot more. And it was also really sad when I think about, like, up till two years ago, before I made uh, that collage, there was a lot less. And then even before We Need Diverse Books, there was less. Yeah. And like we like in the book world, we are kind of at this we're reaching this point where there is quantity and we are also getting quality yeah. from that quantity because once you expand, <laughs> you're, you're bound to catch more, uh, yeah. more good works. And those good works are being made into movies and TV shows. Um, basically, options. basically, the reason why you're getting more uh, movies <laughs> and TV shows by Asian uh, with Asian cast is because of books. Yeah, it starts on the page. I mean, Crazy Rich Asian started as a book. Yes, and so we, are we, reading that. Before, we are reading as a that. Book. <laughs> we are reading that in August. So. Um, but yeah, so I like that that was where her head was at. I hate that that was why she got all this shit. And this is something that comes up. I forgot which essay. But she's talking about Canadian culture. And oh, yeah. Yeah. And how a lot of it is like 
people don't like being reminded. Yeah, um, I have a I have a quote, and it's actually it's like a paragraph, but <laughs> I will try I will try to shorten it. And while Canada purports to be multicultural, t- Toronto in particular, a place where everyone is holding hands and cops are handing out ice cream cones instead of, say, shooting black men. Our inability to talk about race and its complexities actually means our racism is arguably more insidious. We rarely acknowledge it, and when we do, we're punished, as if we're speaking badly of an elderly relative who can't help but make fun of the Irish. The white majority doesn't like being reminded that the cultural landscape is still flawed, still broken. Yeah. I mean, Canada gets a, not a bad rap, but a good rap for being a more tolerant, nicer place to live. And what happens is that they've internalized that, well, that means we've solved racism. It doesn't exist. Where if you look at things like institutionalized racism, those still exist. But because people have convinced themselves that they're, you know... Colorblind. Yeah, it's like they don't talk about it. And when you do, it's like, wow. How it's it's the basic white response to being called out for racism, which is how dare you, right? Because we've we've somehow mixed up racism with bigotry. Yes. Um. Ooh, deep. <laughs> it's yeah. It's a very uh, deep topic that you can go on forever. And I guess I want to uh, kind of close out my thoughts with. How she mentioned that at her workplace, she couldn't, she got criticized for being loud. And it wasn't just because she was a woman, it was because she was a woman of color. Like her Mm. other white women colleagues would say, oh, like you're being too abrasive, too aggressive. (laughs) And uh, she would also mention how um, she would be advised to be one of the guys to, (laughs) to move up the ladder. And she was like, I've, really hate that and I don't want to do it and it sucks and like I liked how she separated that saying like oh not only like I'm not only am I a woman and there's like the ceiling I'm also a woman of color so there's a a double layer yeah and this is why intersectionality (laughs) is really important and that is my rant for (laughs) for that yeah in a book full of keen observations um, Keen observations with witty humor. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed. It. I wasn't sure what I was gonna or how I was gonna approach a book of essays, but like you said, it was really more of a memoir, um, and the stories were very personal and fun to read, which is great. I'm glad you liked it because I like when I was reading it, I was like, "Will Marvin actually like this?" I mean, <laughs> like it doesn't really seem to like fit his taste in books. I hope I hope he likes it or takes away like. A it lot reminded of from me it. of like a one woman show type of format where it's mm-hmm. like it's like a story of here is, um, here is my life. Here is a here are a bunch of anecdotes, and it was really interesting just to glimpse. Because she writes a lot about her thought process too, which is really interesting. Like I'm always finding it interesting to see, or to learn how how people approach different different um, subjects or perspectives. And I mean that's the that's one of the reasons why I like reading, even though before this book club I hadn't done a lot of it. <laughs> um, you should be proud of yourself. You've read a lot. <laughs> I actually have. Uh, 
your books over there because we we took a picture for our new banner image if you guys haven't noticed on twitter but yeah like now you have a library of (laughs) books by asian and asian american authors well thank you for the great idea And on that note, I guess... um, I will tell a funny story. I was reading this at Starbucks, like uh publicly, and some some lady, some white lady, like came up to me and was just like, oh, that's a really funny title. Like, what is it? And I'm just like, oh, it's a collection of essays by like an Indian Canadian writer. And she talks about race and sexism (laughs) and like, and all this other stuff. And she was like, cool. Like, I'll check it out. And she walked away. And I'm like... This nice. is this is really this is why I like reading books in public. Well, also, the book is very hot pink, so it's very eye catching. It is very eye catching, <laughs> but it also happened when I um, when I was reading Pachinko because oh. the cover was really pretty, and yeah. they're like, "What is it about?" And I'm like, "Let me tell you, <laughs> I am very good at selling books." I do. Uh, I did remember really quick about because um, I've actually I've been to Calgary a couple of times. I have some friends from Calgary, all Asians, by the way. There's there are a bunch of Asians in Calgary, which is, uh, in case people don't know, in the province of Alberta, which is pretty much the Texas of Canada. And I don't think she mentioned this a lot, but they're cowboys in, in Calgary. Like they're Oh, interesting. Um, but she did mention, because the two times I went to Calgary was for Calgary Stampede, which she, in her book, in her words, is the whitest event in the entire world. Because <laughs> uh, it's a rodeo. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, that's fun. It was, it was, I recognize that it was, it was fun. It was fun to read her thoughts on Calgary. Cause like, yep, I don't disagree, but also at the same time, it was a lot of fun to like drink a lot and listen to country music. Yeah. I think we talked enough about this book. Um, <laughs> um, I guess, I guess we'll close out. Yeah. If you have any thoughts about the book that you'd like to share again, please go on to our Goodreads forums. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts about, um, this book. And again, our book club pick for the month of May is The Leavers by Lisa Ko. Um, paperback is out now. It, it has been very, um, it's been praised a lot by, you know, book reviewers. And it was n- nominated for like the National uh, Book Award. So definitely has a lot of accolades. And we're going to try to get our friend Lily. Lily, I know you're listening to this. <laughs> um because she read the book and Lily's an adoptee and like the main character in The Leavers is an adoptee. So I would definitely want to have her on the show. And she wrote like this very uh, interesting essay on her blog. So definitely yeah. want her to expand on that. So Lily, come on our show again. This is your <laughs> invitation. Um, um, hit us up on Twitter. And that'll do it. As always, if you like what you hear, give us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. Um, if you have any friends who you want to get into reading, um, introduce our podcast and let's see if they can get into it. Um, and yeah, thanks again for listening to this episode of Books and Boba. See you guys later. Keep reading. This episode of Books and Boba was hosted by Marvin Yuet and we were you and edited by Marvin Yuet. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of podcasts featuring unique voices from the Asian American community. If you like Books and Boba, you might also like Saturday School, a pop culture history podcast hosted by journalist Ada Sang and film scholar Brian Hu, who highlight and discuss classic Asian American films. 
can catch Saturday School and the other great programs of the Potluck Collective by going to the website www.podcastpotluck.com. Thank you.